Doing Messages by Nomi Stone. The undersides of chanterelles, orange gold gills, tell that these ones are good to eat, won't hurt anyone. Around the island, we bring damp parcels. Tatamo, who caught us a fish, mackerel to crackle stovetop, and along with a gleaming jam, to Drew, because he let us pick his gooseberries, and a Tupperware for the neighbor, in case she's annoyed we've stayed too long. Every stop is far from the next one, the sea shining as we drive. And I learn that these errands are called doing your messages. And each gold trumpet does speak from its stem. Hello, or thank you, or will you help me if one day I am alone? Hi, I'm Elizabeth Scanlon, and this is the American Poetry Review Podcast. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Stephen. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Great. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like really summer I now. was just about to say. Right? S- summer extreme. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It feels feels real now. It's not um, really summer until the Canadian fires come to visit. Oh, boy. That was that was a whole thing, right? I don't think that I had... I mean, I certainly had never experienced that firsthand, like the orange air. The sky was the same color as the cover on this microphone oh which yeah. is bright orange yeah, that's they're... good podcasting to <laughs> yes. bring up colors oh my in god the room. we're setting the scene um yeah uh, it was so, the thing that was so weird about it for me was like being outside at like 3 p.m and like looking straight at the sun like you yeah. could just look straight at it it was a perfect circle because all of the rays were just like it was bizarre obscured by the smoke and I also just had this funny realization of of like how much more information we have at our fingertips all the time than we ever have before Mm. I mean that's kind of a banal observation but in that moment in that phenomenon I kept looking at my phone because on the weather app it gives you that score of like the AQI I learned all about we learned all about that and it just kept coming up and up and up and up and up like throughout the day like to these to this astronomical number that I never even thought I thought we were going to break the scale yeah a question for for poetry editor elizabeth oh, sure how many poms are you expecting with oh what my is god it? aqi <laughs> no reference a, in the next year that's you know that's a good question i um i'm sure they're coming it's i'm like sure the, they're coming the coronavirus sonic crowns yes yes although i have to say i, I have no i have nothing I like but them. love yeah i love the, them but <laughs> for the crowns of sonnets like Really, like as a, as a hallmark of our era, the sonnet cycle um, mm-hmm. of the last, you know, f- three years has really been kind of amazing to me. Yeah. And um, I would be excited to learn more about environmental air quality patterns and poems so i say that cynically but really no but I, it it's would really be true. really interesting and actually Stephen, that's a good segue because in the issue that we just today got back from the printers the new july august issue <gasps> um we have an essay by john shoptaw on eco poetics we have some amazing poems from david baker that are 
eco-poetic, uh, you know, concerned with uh, issues of the environment. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's in the air. It's in the issue. It's in it's the a- air. It's among <laughs> us. Um, it's in our lungs. It's <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's one of those things that you're, you're happy about having in yes. your lungs. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Right. So the July-August issue uh, that has uh, Amakajo on the cover. Uh, very exciting. We're always excited for a new issue. Um, but this is pretty exciting. We have uh, poems from Ama. We have poems from Maggie Smith, Kelly Groom, Ed Skoog. So many wonderful, wonderful poets. Um, Robert Woodlin. I mean, just a feast. A feast we have before us. It's a really um, exciting ep- uh, issue. Thank you. Any uh, any call outs, guys? Any any big faves? Um, I personally, um, I, m- I might just have to like kick it off, right? Because here we are. Um, these Maggie Smith poems are gorgeous. Um, I'm going to read this one called The Score. Sometimes I feel like I'm writing the score for a film that doesn't yet exist. But everything that will happen in the film will happen to me. Is this what they call plot? This daily picking up of the same things, glasses, coffee cup, pen, book, keys, and setting them back down again. Narrative has always troubled me, so I'll leave that to someone else and write the mood instead. Also approximating setting. A little piano to suggest rain and violin for a river long and thin. That key change, a meander. If the score is plain and sweet, it's because the life is, mostly. I don't know how it ends, but given the budget, it will end quietly. One day, I'll find myself near a river and I'll realize this is that film the one I scored, and this is the scene where rain starts falling. And in that moment, it will, and it will sound like piano. It's a little story. I love a little story. I, um, it's very sweet. It is very sweet. I, 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 I kind of enjoy how, uh, no, I certainly enjoy how the poem says that narrative has troubled me, but it gives you so much narrative, right? I mean, I feel like there's a whole world yeah, in that poem. I was just poem. thinking that I, I wasn't looking at the poem when you were reading mm-hmm. it, and now that I see it on on the page, I'm surprised at, at how short it looks. Mm-hmm. But, but while you were reading it, I felt like it, so it, taken along. It and, builds the world, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I th- something happened to me in that poem that I would say uh, often happens in poems that I like, which is I stopped listening at the point of um, of craft that just like grabbed me mm. and that around two thirds of the way in, mm-hmm. which is which is remarkable, um, that key change, a meander. Mm-hmm. And then the poem just tonally is in a different place right? on mm. a key change. <laughs> Uh, a meander. <laughs> really, it's really so a well good. done poem. So good, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Volta, yeah, right. right. The yeah. Volta. We love synonyms. We poets, we love to say the Volta, but like that might as well say the key change. I mean, it is. It is. It is a really satisfying pivot. Um, so good. Yeah. 
Uh, as we said before, some other delights in this issue yes. are that essay on eco-poetics. Um, we have, well, we'll be sharing some readings from our contributors uh, in the course of this episode. Um, oh, Stephen, you were saying that you that you really enjoy these translations by Michael Bassett of the poet uh, Umberto Acabal. Yeah, they're right. really wonderful. They're short and surprising, um, as translations often are, because we're not sort of, you know, we're we're finding our way out of the um, out of the English language and mm -hmm. the culture a little bit into something new. Um, I was just now looking at this one rupture. Mm -hmm. Your silence exploded and awakened the madman sleeping in my brain. I started looking for you down every dead end road. They tell me you turned into flowers. They tell me you turned into honey. It's your fault. I think I'm a bee. Mm. It's really like mm. really heartbreaking, yeah. immediately short poem, mm -hmm. a wonderful repetition. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these things are, are things that that Michael does in his poems. Oh yeah. But in translations, it's it's you know, it has that him and not him quality. Michael Bassett is such an extraordinary translator. I really think that he's one of the most interesting uh, poets working in translation right now for that very reason is that he always manages to sound like himself while also giving a very careful, conscientious, mm -hmm. detailed um, translation of, of the poet he's, he's uh, representing. Have either of you ever tried a hand at uh, literary translation? You know, only as a student, but I actually, I'm really yeah. fascinated with it I mean yeah maybe if Give if life allows I should I just should for fun. like it exercises a different part of your brain than, than writing or like edit it reading and editing right. like it's totally different right. I mean I, I don't do it a lot now but I did it in school as well well but you you just you were in Mexico City I, for a while I was. right you you were immersed <laughs> in Spanish yeah learning some, yeah yeah did you did while you were in Mexico did you uh did you read any contemporary poets did you um, come across any yeah, I yes, I'm gonna like r forget every name. Oh, ever I'm sorry. Right now. You're fine. No, um, I, I had a friend that I made there like take me to this very cool, um, contemporary like Spanish literature bookstore, mm -hmm. um, in Mexico City, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> buy all these books and then I'm gonna read them, um, but you know, I have them, <laughs> and I it's just like the Spanish is a little bit daunting now no, that I'm not fantastic. like in it but um yeah I will I'll look I don't remember yeah. the, the names no that's fantastic I mean that's that's I think one of the real I mean just opining but I think one of the really um one of the shortcomings of being a poet in America is how little we know about poets from other countries sure and honestly when you even when you want to go looking for contemporary poets in other uh, languages, it's it's sort of hard to know where to begin. And right? and yeah, I think that this is such a great time. Also, I mean, right. we had um, uh, is it Poetry International that was published a couple years yes. ago, which is such a a, um, uh, a great anthology of translated works. I got really into um, 
Polish poets in in graduate school, and I I took a couple years of Polish. Uh, you did, and, yeah, yeah. I, lo- I loved it. It was really wonderful. Actually, the Love program that. fell around fell fell apart around me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? They my understanding of declensions was so bad that they were like, never again are we going to teach Polish. But um, but I did a uh, I I trans- translated a book of Alexander Vought poems. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and I, I still have them, kind of waiting to be completed. They're they're wonderful. Cool. Well, I would love to see yeah, that. I want to see them. I want to see them too. <laughs> it's my great um, secret. Okay. I do remember in Mexico that I bought um, a uh, like dual language version yes. of um, Norma Jean Baker of Troy, the <gasps> Anne Carson. That's um, great. Book, which is so funny because she's you know a translator herself right. of, of like classic languages, and then. I have a copy now that's like one side is English and one side is Spanish. And so that's fun too. That is called an en face edition. Oh. When they are facing each other. On, oh, that makes sense. There you go. French. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my only other Love. language. I, I, they, didn't, they didn't even teach Spanish in my high school. That's ridiculous. Really? In America, that's ridiculous. But I did, I did study French all through high school and college. So there's that. This is Justin Rigamonti from the July-August issue reading And Boros from Bora, which in Greek means food. something other than the self. But the larger you become, the more cosmos you comprise, the less consumable otherness there is. A shrinking slice of not you, until you're the whole thing. The world serpent, Uro, Boros, the yin and yang, the mouth of light coiled back into the darkness of your body, which you've always felt guessed at. Your mind, not a discreet slice of consciousness splayed out on cosmic glass, but all of it. A bright cell inside of God, and therefore all God. Your name implying oneness, the word for tail. Uro and Boros, from Bora, which in Greek means food, as in tail food, which is strange because usually food is thought of as something other than self. The larger you become, the more cosmos you comprise. Consumable otherness 
So Hannah, you were telling me that you recently saw Tyhimba Jess read, right? Yeah, um, at the Kelly Writers House at, on the Penn campus. We love, we love Kelly Writers House. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a really amazing reading. Um, I he is, I think, uh, a pretty singular poet. Um, yeah. What stood out to you about? Yeah. Um, it was one of the few readings I've been to where um, the the work was actually like projected onto a screen oh, cool. um, to both be like viewed on the page and read aloud mm-hmm. um, um, in at the same time, um, which is really cool and like helpful for me as like a visual person. Um, I also took a friend with me who this was like her first poetry reading that she'd ever been to oh, of, of all time like of all never... time oh, of all time that's really that's jumping I'm, in the I'm deep doing, end I know it yeah. really is but I also thought it was <laughs> it was like good for that because it was yeah that's awesome um, like okay I'm his poems are very visual mm-hmm. um, especially um, in the book I'm most familiar with which is his last book Olio mm-hmm. what was your what was your friend's impression of the reading Did... I, yeah I think she really enjoyed it I think it was m- like more I think she w- she liked it more than she thought she would. If I'm being honest, <laughs> like I I don't think she thought she was gonna dislike it. But um, I mean, I'm asking in part because to me it's a f- to me it's an interesting question about like what makes a reading mm-hmm. memorable, right? Yeah. Because as a person who goes to readings all the time and has for most of my life right. at this point, right? Um, I I lose sight of what what a mm-hmm. what a new experience would be right. like right and um i think that it is super i haven't i haven't ever um heard Taihimba just read i think it's amazing and cool that he did projections because that makes all the sense in the world because how yes. his poems exist on the page right. is such a big part of his aesthetic also there was such a, a spontaneity to the way he reads them because mm-hmm. they're sort of meant to be read in many directions mm-hmm. and um and so he gets up there and like reads them and surprises himself with the way in which he is presenting them at that given time, uh-huh. um, which is really cool. And then also, again, helpful to like see it yeah. um, while that's happening so we can sort of follow along with where he is and like what he is choosing to read and what remains on the page and like maybe unspoken. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was really like mind blowing. Like I've read his work on the page, but like it really unlocked a whole nother level for me to like hear him yeah. read it, um, which sometimes happens. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but um, I think I think that's like. Sorry to to please. to uh, no jump in. Let's zoom out a little bit. I think that, that one of the great things that can happen at a reading for maybe for part of the community right like Mm. people folks who are um comfortable familiar with someone's work or with poetry in general but a a reading always offers that opportunity to hear something annotated by the by the poet right um or you know um, you mean like the backstory or the or or even like you know this is not going to be exactly how it is on the page right this is like i'm bringing some new energy that may in and Mm -hmm. of course um uh in this case 
it's very apparent how it could be something that's completely new to them. But I, 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 I love those moments in readings where you can tell that somebody surprised themselves reading something that they've read 30 or 40 mm-hmm. times right. over and they go, oh, wow, I just realized what I was doing in this piece. <laughs> and that's, I just think that that's such a great moment and that reading your work out loud allows for that. Absolutely. And it's such an important part of the the life of the poem, right? That it continues to kind of grow and change um, over many repetitions. Like, I think that that is, that's exciting. That's exciting to be in the presence of. I mean, not everyone's a natural performer, though, right? Like some people, I think, even fantastic poets, some people don't um, kind of get excited. Don't don't feel energized Name by the names. experience. <laughs> um, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, Stephen. I can only think of the wonderful ones. Yes, like I think I. I mean, I've seen Sharon Olds read many many oh, times, jealous. and she's such an extraordinary <laughs> reader. I I don't even know if she thinks of herself as an extraordinary reader, but I think she's tremendously exciting uh, to hear read because her experience of the poems feels so uh, genuine and vivid, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Like you were saying that you, that you see them living in the, in the voice of the person Mm -hmm. of the poet. Yeah. Um, I've seen Ross Gay, the poet read several times, a Philadelphian shout out. Yes. Um, And it's just like, I don't know. I just like became, I'm such more of a fan after having seen him read um because he he like is his work you know like of yeah. course that's true but like seeing him he he like is as tender <laughs> it seems on stage as yes. his poems you know mm-hmm. so it's um it's fun to get that extra dimension yeah um through through attending a reading Summer poems. Is that a thing to anybody else? Or is that just a weird thing that exists in my mind? There are certain poems that I think of in our hot, sultry days. Or, or poets. It's poems, like, poets. Are there any that, that, that stay with you? Sure, but I, it, you, it sounds like um, when people like hear... Um, or like see colors. <laughs> That's like when, when I do have synesthesia. When, I have a yeah, little, I do a little bit. Maybe this is a, a little overflow. My actually, that. I mean, this is just a, a weird aside about me, but I do actually have a little bit of strange synesthesia with like colors and numbers. Okay, oh. like certain numbers. Very cool. Are are kind of permanent. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Whatever. But no, it's now you same, now you learn like, something about me. It's tinged with summer. The color like three the poet, is always red. But I don't know oh, why. Okay, sure. But uh, for you, maybe poets are tinged with yes. the vibes of summer the colors of summer Hannah that's that's a that's an interesting insight I guess that might be a, a variety of synesthesia wait so name names well I mean I, I mean I do I <laughs> think is that the name of this I mean I think episode. I do think of Ada Limon's poems often in the summer mm-hmm. I mean she we have published some poems of hers that seem especially summery to me I bookmarked one of them because I knew that we were going to be talking about our summer issue today um there's one of hers let me let me find it here what was I doing um a couple of years ago we published a poem of hers called sundown and all the damage done nearly nine and still the sun's not slunk into its nightly digs the burnt meat smell of midweek cookouts and wet grass hangs in the air like loose familiar summer garb standing by the magnolia tree i think 
If I were to live as long as she did, I'd have 11 more years. And if I were to live as long as him, I'd have 49. As long as him, I'd be dead already. As long as her, this would be my final year. There's a strange contentment in this countdown, a nodding to this time, where I get to stand under the waxy leaves of the ancient genus, a tree that appeared before even the bees, and watch as fireflies land on the tough teeples until each broad flower glows like a torchlit mausoleum. They call the beetles conspicuous bioluminescence a cold light, but why then do I still feel so much fire? And as I was reading that, my dog at my feet let out a little sigh to the dog days of summer. Yes. There we have it. <laughs> so I am not somebody, I was thinking about this and I was like, summer, po- I, uh, no, like nothing came <laughs> to mind. But so then what I did was I decided to study. And so I yeah. read the poems that you uh, bookmarked, yeah. including that one. And I thought, what other poems? Yeah. And I came up with uh, Mock Orange. Yeah. Which, you know, is that a summer poem? I don't know. There's plants blossoming. Tell in us, it. tell us again, mock orange by Luis Glick. Yes, of course. And then I also thought of another rather famous poem, uh, "Lying in a Hammock at William Duffy's Farm in Pine Island, Minnesota." Yes, by quintessential. James Wright. Exactly. <laughs> you nailed it. You so I did my it. studying <laughs> and. Uh, what I was struck by, tell me tell me what you think of this half-baked idea, <laughs> which I think is actually pretty good. Um, there's something about summer poems that have people thinking about their existence in juxtaposition with life, uh-huh. right? With light. It's not the fall where things are dying. Mm-hmm. It's not the spring where things are being birthed. Mm-hmm. It's the summer. Yeah. Where you can't even kill plants if you try. Right. They just grow and yeah. grow and grow. There's an ex- right. expansiveness. Right. And yeah. it's like, and it's how much of this can I get? Mm. It's like there's gladness. appetite. Right. There's, ap- I mean, it's it's gladness, but in a glad way. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I want to well, just gladness? gladness? I don't know gladness in a bad way. I don't, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. That's but, right. I no don't shade, subscribe. No to that. shade on gladness. <laughs> right? In Limon's poem, you have her, you know, um, connecting uh um we're thinking about her age and compared to all of these other mm-hmm. people's ages right it's like the you can't stop but thinking about your own um uh life in this way in summer you right know? it's mortality but it's not the emphasis on mortality it's the it's the um the deliciousness right? yeah it's yeah it's the delectation of of what we have now well and that that mortality is there and i am here and i don't know what my relationship is to mm. it necessarily it mm. could be you know it could be it but it's not i'm dying and it's not i'm growing right <laughs> it's <laughs> it's something else right right it's enjoyment I yeah. mean, my friend Kelly just named this the summer of enjoyment. That's what she's calling it. Right on. <laughs> so, I, oh, you know what? Okay, so here we go. Here's 
perfect, perfect uh, segue into recommendations. You know why I think that's a perfect segue? Oh. I have to t- tell you because it only exists in my head, Hannah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like recommending Janelle Monet is like recommending breathing air because it's just there. But the new Janelle Monet record is so, so tinged with summer. Good. <laughs> it's so tinged with summer and it's, you know, and it is, uh, well, you know, it's called The Age of Pleasure. But the, one of the reasons why I wanted to shout it out is because on that record, there are so many like little um, extra pleasures because like Grace Jones has a little like pop up cameo on it and sister nancy has like a little track on it and man i just love it so much wow anyway <laughs> recommendations read any read any good books lately um or, or I, any other things um i just read uh do you know this book the the argentinian novel tender is the flesh do you know about this one i don't tell me about it it's it's this is kind of a downer like to go from janelle monet to this one is like it's okay it's all in there i know um really good i i read it in like 24 hours um you know so it's very compelling but it is about um breeding people for meat <laughs> consumption oh <laughs> no okay <laughs> which to me i've just been thinking since I read it about how it could only be written by an Argentine. Okay. <laughs> it's like a, a meat steeped culture. Oh, yeah. um, Very heavy. It's like the premise of the book is like animals are out. They have a virus that is fatal to humans. So all animals, we can't have them. Um, and instead of not eating meat at all, we're, we're going to eat people. That's pretty okay. I, I can get into that. That's a pretty big swing. I like a big given circumstance, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a... That's a good one. I actually just read um, uh, uh, the novel Big Swiss. Did you? No. Hear? Apparently, I, I thought I Is was. Is it about like, cheese? No, <laughs> but it's also uh, chocolate. It comes to mind because Knives. it's also kind of a big swing as a given circumstance. Like the premise of the novel is that a sex therapist is having someone transcribe their sessions Mm -hmm. like with their clients which is preposterous that would just never happen but the person who is transcribing then like falls in love with with one of one of these clients whose voice she recognizes like out in the in the world you think Um, that happens with this podcast (laughs) (laughs) um steven do you have any recommendations for us I, I do. I, I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about great translators. Yeah. This is not a book of translations, but um, Jennifer Groats has a new collection out, Still Falling. Oh. And it's really, I've really been enjoying it. And Jennifer is a great translator. Big fan of Jennifer Groats. Yeah. Absolutely. What language does she work in? Uh, Polish. Oh, cool. Yeah. And French. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's this. What <laughs> is that? This is actually. I mean, you know, it's it's, and also her work is such a great example of of the movement back and forth, right? There's there's a line that I'm gonna butcher, but it's something like, "Why do pigeons or why do animals always talk to us in our mother tongue?" And she's like talking <laughs> to a pigeon and and somewhere in France, and um, I love that line. That's so good. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on social media and check out our website, aprweb.org, for more poems all the time. <laughs>